through uh, the book at least up to around Christmas time, and we'll, we'll see where that uh, takes us after that. But as I've been uh, studying and uh, preparing over the past few weeks, I've just been struck time and time again at how relevant and helpful this book is for us as Christians, as we consider what it is and how it is that we can faithfully follow our risen Lord and Saviour. It's a book, as we look at it, in some ways it's going to get us going. It's going to get us up from our chairs, up from our sofas, or wherever it is that we may sit back and relax. We're going to be reminded time and time again of the good news of salvation that Jesus offers. And so it's going to stir us into action, encouraging us to to go and spread that good news uh, widely with all the people that we know. And it's also going to help us to get serious about what it will mean for us as Christians uh, to do life together. Life together as a church. We're going to see the early church. How, how can we serve each other? How can we build each other up? And we'll also be helped uh, in the book to think through the fact that Christian life just won't always be easy. If, in fact, if we are following in Jesus' footsteps, as we'll see in this book, Jesus was the suffering saviour, and so we too should expect difficulties and opposition too. So how should we live in face of that? So even as the book does that, it stirs us to think all of these things through. At the same time as we look at this book, I think above all, it should also strengthen us and reassure us. Because right the way through this book, we're going to see that no matter what, God And his unfolding plan to bring salvation to the end of the earth will prevail. There is absolutely nothing that will stop that. You see, as many of you will be aware, Acts is not a standalone book in the Bible, as much as we have it as a separate book. Actually, it follows on directly from that Gospel of Luke, which is why Brian read that opening for us earlier. And so, as we look in this second book in the series, Acts, it's in many ways doing exactly the same thing as the book of Luke was set out to do. And we saw in Luke uh, chapter 1, 1 to 4, that Luke, a doctor uh, who sometimes also traveled with Paul, we'll see him use the word we later on in in Acts as well, he was setting out in the uh, book of Luke to write an orderly an account showing all that had been fulfilled and accomplished through Jesus' coming and his life and his death and his resurrection. And all of that with the aim, as you look there at verse 4, that those reading would have certainty concerning the things that they've been taught. So the Gospel of Luke, I think, above all, aims to reassure and strengthen believers in their faith, showing them that Jesus' coming is the fulfillment of God's plan. And the book of Acts is just pure and simply going to continue to do that. Look with me if you've got it open at Acts chapter 1, verse 1. It continues on. He begins the second book. In the first book, that's Luke, or Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up. 
And the clear implication is this. If Luke aimed to reassure and give certainty about Jesus' life and work up until his resurrection and his ascension in his first book, now this second book, the book of Acts, is going to seek to reassure us and give certainty about Jesus' continuing work, even after his resurrection and his ascension. This book is going to show us how Jesus by the Spirit and through his people, is still at work in the world. And that God's plans and purposes are still being fulfilled. See, I guess it would be easy for someone like Theophilus, who these books uh, seem to be initially addressed to, to begin to wonder, right? Well, now, now Jesus is gone. How can we know then that all is continuing according to God's will and to his plan? And through this book, Luke is going to reassure him and all of us that it absolutely is. In any kind of introduction to a book, there's so much that can be said. It's a little bit daunting, but I do feel that particularly in this book, in the book of Acts. First off, pure and simple, it has 28 chapters. There is a lot of content Uh, a lot of volume in here, but there's a lot of content as well. There's a lot of themes and topics, and we're not going to be able to go through them all now, but just, I thought, as a means of whetting your appetite, let me just highlight a few things for you to keep your eyes open to as as we go through the book over the coming weeks. First off, as we've already said, we're going to see the plan of God being worked out in this book. We're going to see then the coming of the Holy Spirit and his work and his life uh, in the life of the believers. We're going to see the continuing growth and spread of the word of God. We're going to see the growth of the early church and look at what church looked like. We're going to see an ongoing focus on salvation. And that's been right the way through Luke as well as we've been coming up, seeing that, that theme right the way through. And we're going to see how that salvation now is offered to both Jews and to Gentiles. We'll see themes of opposition and persecution. We'll see uh, miracles and magic. And right the way through, we're going to see themes of witness and mission. That's quite a lot, right? And that is really only just touching the surface. That is skimming the surface. That's getting us going. As a heads up, uh, you might be glad we're not planning in these next up till December to to get all the way through the 28 chapters. We're going to get through halfway through chapter 6, hopefully. And I think hopefully that will be a good moment then to pause and take stock of where we've got to. Because in fact, in many ways, it seems like Luke has broken down this second volume of his work for us through some summary statements. There are seven of them, I think, throughout this book. So just before we get into those first 11 verses together, I just thought it might be helpful for us to take a step back and just read those summary statements together. I've put them up here on the slide, so hopefully you can follow along there. But as we do this, I hope you're encouraged as we see the repeated themes and patterns that we're going to see in this book. First off, chapter 2, verse 47. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. The next, chapter 6, verse 7. And the word of God continued to increase, and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem. And a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. 
chapter 9, verse 31. So the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria had peace and was being built up and walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, it multiplied. Chapter 12, verse 24, it continues. You'll see the themes. But the word of God increased and multiplied. Chapter 16, verse 5. So the churches were strengthened in the faith, and they increased in numbers daily. Chapter 19, verse 20. So the word of the Lord continued to increase and prevail mightily. And then the concluding words of the book. I, that is Paul, uh, he, Paul, lived there in Rome for two whole years at his own expense and welcomed all who came to him. And what was he doing? He was proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. This is the book of Acts. And I hope you can see in all of those verses, even just as we skim through them at lightning pace, the reassurance and the encouragement that we should see here. Even as we're going to see difficulties and setbacks in these pages, the book of Acts is going to constantly remind us that God continues to do his work. I just love that. Look, chapter 19, verse 20. So the word of the Lord continued to increase and prevail mightily. Isn't that such a great statement? Nothing was going to stop that from happening back then, and nothing has stopped that from happening ever since. 2,000 years on. Isn't it encouraging now to look back and see that statement continuing to be true? Right across this world, the word of the Lord going out and prevailing mightily as he draws people to himself. What is it that the Lord says in Isaiah chapter 55, verse 10? My word that goes out from my mouth shall not return empty. It shall accomplish that which I purpose. Isn't that an encouragement? And in view of that then, let's then get into the specifics of God's word for us tonight so that it will not come back empty. Let's study it together. Those first 11 verses of Acts chapter 1. If you've got a Bible, it would be really helpful to have that open and to see here in these verses this immediate reassurance that we've been talking about, that God was back then and is still today at work, even after Christ's death. And in these verses, we're going to see later on as well that call to join in with God's purposes, that call to be witnesses to Christ, to those around us. As Luke opens this second book to Theophilus, as we already read, he says that in the first book, he dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach. And in saying that, he's wanting Theophilus and all of us who are reading this book to be sure of this, that Jesus is still at work. See, Jesus' work didn't finish when he died, but it is ongoing today. And we should be both reassured and challenged by that this evening. In these verses we're looking at, we're going to see this worked out in three ways. First off, we're going to see that we can be sure that Jesus is still at work today because he is both risen and reigning. Luke's already hinted in verse 1 that Jesus' death wasn't the end, right? He began to do, so now he's continuing to do. And of course, 
In, back in Luke chapter 24, he's already recounted Jesus' resurrection. So we know that to be true. But he starts off again explicitly there. Verses 2 and 3. Verse 2 pointing to his ascension. And then verse 3, we read, Jesus presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. Luke wants to say to Theophilus, and he wants to say to us again this evening, Jesus is risen. He is alive. As Luke writes, after rising from the dead, Jesus showed himself to be alive in a convincing and decisive manner, appearing to his disciples over a period of 40 days, and doing things uh, like eating that no ghost could do, and doing things like showing Thomas, right? the physical nail marks in his hands and in his side. The resurrection of Christ has ever since the beginning been central to the Christian faith. In fact, the Apostle Paul writes in 1 Corinthians that if Christ has not been raised, his preaching is in vain and our faith is in vain. But then he goes on, like Luke, to say, but in fact Christ has been raised from the dead. And this truth guarantees several things for us. Things that we're going to see even more clearly as we continue through this book, uh, through the speeches that are in here, the sermons. It guarantees us that Christ has paid for our sin. It has been paid in full. And it guarantees that we too will rise with him. He as the first fruits of the final resurrection. As I say, we'll see that worked out more and more. But for now, Luke begins in this way, simply declaring Jesus is not dead. He is alive. And in this way, he can continue to be at work, can't he? Fulfilling his father's purposes. Not only that, though, then. Look with me, if you will, to verses 9 to 11. Because not only is it true that he has risen, but it is also true that he is reigning We see this in these verses as we see Jesus' ascension. We're going to come back to the middle verses in a little bit. But for now, Luke Luke writes, verse 9, And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. After Jesus had been instructing his disciples, he, he doesn't die again. Do you see that? Like everyone else. All those others that Jesus raised from the dead that we see in the Gospels, they die again, but not Jesus. Instead, Jesus is taken up to heaven. And I think Luke's reference to the cloud here, even if it's something that maybe we would just skim over initially, I think it is crucial to what he is trying to get at. First off, you see, clouds in the Old Testament often symbolize the Lord's glorious presence. And so here, again, I think it's it's pointing to Christ's glory. As he rises, he goes to glory, and he takes on that glory. But not only that, in my mind, I think here there is a clear reference back to Daniel chapter 7, verses 13 and 14, where we read of this vision that Daniel sees of the Son of Man as he's raised to heaven. And it is an amazing vision. Read it with me. You can either turn to it in your Bibles or we're going to have it up there on the screen if you can see those. Daniel chapter 13, Daniel chapter 7, verses 13 and 14. Here's the vision. And behold, with the clouds, 
See there, the clouds of heaven, they came one like a son of man. And he came to the ancient of days and was presented before him. And to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom. That all peoples, nations and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away. And his kingdom, one that shall not be destroyed. Isn't that an incredible vision of the Lord Jesus Christ? One like a son of man, now revealed to us as Jesus, coming with the clouds of heaven, taking his place as king and lord over all things. Not just now, but forevermore. I think this is what Luke is referring us back to as he describes Christ's ascension here in verses 9 to 11. We can be sure that Jesus is still at work today because his ascension doesn't do anything like remove him from the picture, but actually it's his moment of enthronement as he now sits exalted at the right hand of God, reigning over and ruling over all things. We'll see this pictured and referred to again here in this book of Acts by Stephen. Remember, the crowds are enraged. They're turning on him. And Stephen, what does he do? He gazes into heaven. And he sees there the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. In writing like this, as we see in this book of Acts, Luke is making it clear that, in this in, that Jesus in no way leaves the scene after his death. But actually, today he is the one who is continuing to direct the scenes. He doesn't leave the scenes. He directs the scenes. Luke is saying to Theophilus and his other early readers, be sure of this. Jesus is still at work. He is risen and reigning. And that's true for us today too, as we think about this. And as I guess, as we, as we think about these truths, The question then for us this evening is, what does knowing that to be true mean for us? First of all, I think this opening of the book of Acts reminds us today that while we could be tempted in some ways to to think of the work of Christ as some kind of ancient history that, yes, we're delighted to to read about and to know, but maybe we resign it to this work of history. Well, it absolutely isn't. Jesus Christ is today, as verse 1 implies, still very much continuing to act and to speak. And so if you are a follower of the risen and reigning of the Lord Jesus tonight, that should really encourage you. That is who you are following. This very moment, right now, all things are under Jesus' control. He is doing his work. He is accomplishing his father's purposes. And as we remember that, who better is it that we can then run to? First of all, who better is it that we can then run to to find forgiveness and hope and salvation? But then also, who better is it for us to run to in all aspects of our lives? To run to for help to keep on persevering in our faith for help in whatever testing or trying circumstances that some of us might find ourselves in right now. See, when we forget about Christ's ongoing 
role and rule in this world, the things of this world begin to slowly become greater and greater and greater, don't they? They cloud our minds. In particular, the the difficulties, the trials we bump up against. These little things even can just become bigger and bigger. Shadows that pretty soon envelop all of our lives. But we have to remember this. From the book of Acts, there is someone who is above those shadows. Someone who is far greater than all of those shadows. Someone who can bring strength and hope and bring light to cast away those shadows, even in those desperate situations. When this week, perhaps we're tempted to despair, either over our own personal circumstances or situations, or even over that that widespread departure from Christ that seems to be going on in our society at the moment. As we're tempted to despair, we need to remember what Luke's saying to us here. Our gracious Lord is risen and reigning, and nothing will prevent him from fulfilling his good purposes, both in your life and in the world as a whole. And that then gives us a second thing for us to think about. I'll mention it now, and we'll come back to it again in the evening, uh, about the end, because if this is who Jesus is, if he is Lord over all things, the question then, I guess, is, is he Lord in your life as well? One day we read in Scripture that every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. But is that a confession that right now you would make in your life? So your answer to that is going to define your eternity. And remember, this risen and reigning Christ is the same Christ who Luke has time and time again in his gospel shown us to be compassionate and gracious. Someone who invites the outcast and even the smallest child to come to him. And that invitation remains for us this evening. Yes, the Lord Jesus Christ here we've seen is a mighty ruler, but he is also the one who stooped low to welcome us to him. If you haven't done that yet, come to Christ and confess him as Lord. Continue to listen now then as we continue on to the second thing that Luke would have us be sure of in these opening verses. And that is that Jesus is still at work today, offering salvation to all, because he continues to be at work through his people right across the world. Read with me verses 4 to 8 and see what we're looking at here. Verse 4. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know the times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. 
Jesus is teaching, we're told there in verse 3, he's teaching about the kingdom of God, as he's often been doing again in Luke's gospel. And here in verses 4 to 8, we see two aspects of his teaching on the kingdom of God in view. First off, even though Jesus will shortly ascend to heaven, Jesus is teaching that this doesn't mean that his presence on earth will come to an end. Instead, uh, just as has been promised many times in the Old Testament, in passages like Joel chapter 2 that we'll see in, in a few weeks' time, Isaiah chapter 44, Ezekiel chapter 36, all of these promises from the Father that through the Son he will pour out his Spirit on his people. And the imagery of that there in verse 5 is of being baptized with the Holy Spirit. And as the, the Spirit uh, as, as through the Spirit, God comes then to live within his people. The Spirit communicates Christ's very self and presence to us. That's why Jesus can promise, like he does in Matthew chapter 28 that Steve read at the beginning, that behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. The physically present Christ, yes, when he was on earth, he could speak to thousands, couldn't he? But now, Christ is spiritually present through the Spirit, speaking to and helping and guiding and comforting millions upon millions of his followers right across the world. Rather than Christ's ascension bringing his presence on earth to an end, instead, his ascension and then the coming of the Spirit, which we'll be looking at in a few weeks' time, the coming of the Spirit has brought the presence of Christ into the lives of both his first disciples then and millions and millions of disciples since. Isn't that encouraging? Christ remains present with us. And then the second aspect of the teaching about the kingdom of God in view here in these verses is that even though Jesus will shortly ascend to heaven, this doesn't mean that his work on earth has come to an end. We see that in verses 6 to 8. The disciples hear of the promised spirit coming, don't they? Uh, and they immediately realize, well, this is a big deal. Well, maybe if the spirit's coming, given all that the Old Testament references, this is going to mark the full and the final establishment of God's kingdom. And so they ask that question, don't we? And if we had a bit more time, we could examine the disciples' question there. Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? It seems that the disciples still have a bit of a misunderstanding of what it is that God's kingdom is like. In particular, that it will not just be a restoration of Israel but a kingdom for all people but leaving that aside Jesus in some ways leaves that and he responds like this he makes it clear doesn't he that in some ways yes the kingdom has come through his coming as king but he also makes it clear that the spirit's coming won't mark the final establishment of the kingdom but instead it marks the beginning of a new era in the kingdom the era of the new covenant when God's spirit-filled people right across the world will take the good news out to the nations. See how Jesus puts it. He essentially says in verse 7, doesn't he? Listen, that final consummation of God's kingdom, that will come 
But don't worry about that for now. Instead, verse 8, with the Spirit's help, with his guiding, with his help, with his enabling, you, you disciples, you focus on Jerusalem and then Judea and Samaria and then to the ends of the earth. You focus on spreading the good news of salvation found in me right across the world. In this way, uh, we see in Acts chapter 1 that Christ's work through his people, in many ways, it's actually just beginning. And this is what we're going to see right the way through the rest of this book. We already saw it there, didn't we, in those summary verses. Christ's, God's word spreading. As a slight aside, it seems, uh, in fact, that Christ's words here uh, in chapter 1, verse 8, help mark out the rest of the book of Acts. It kind of is a bit of a table of contents, almost. We're going we're gonna to see, up to the middle of chapter 6, this focus on witnessing in Jerusalem. Then the middle chapters, chapter 7 to 8, and, and a bit of chapter 9, the gospel then goes out from Jerusalem into Judea and Samaria, And then from then on, chapter 10 onwards, we're going to see gradually this good news going further and further afield to the end of the earth. Eventually, in chapter 28, we we come to the end with Paul preaching the good news in what would have been the capital city of the time, Rome, proclaiming God's kingdom. As we look at that verse then of chapter 1, verse 8, Often, I guess, a question that people have is, well, is this a prophecy or is this a command? Right? He says, you will be my witnesses. But in my mind, there's no sharp distinction that we need to make here. Of course, yes, Christ knew that his disciples would be witnesses in this way. But in saying this, isn't he also just making it very clear that this is also what they should do? And in this way, Acts chapter 1, verse 8, serves a bit like a second great commission. The first that Steve read earlier in Matthew chapter 28. Here again, we see the call, don't we, of Christ's followers to take the Gospels to all nations. And just as Matthew chapter 28 also comes with this promise of Christ being with his people, so does Acts chapter 1, verse 8. Isn't the first half of that verse so encouraging? Christ, he has not left us on our own. He's not said, you go do the work. No, he has given us the Spirit. The Spirit who will empower us. See that word, empower us and enable us to speak, to be witnesses to Christ. Now as we think of that. We, some of you may be thinking, and I think this is a good thing to be thinking, well, verse 8, it seems to be directly given, doesn't it, to those first disciples. What role did those first disciples have being witnesses to Christ? See, I think it is true to say that these disciples that Jesus is talking about did have a special role in witnessing to Christ. In fact, we're going to sort of think a little bit more about that next week as we see the appointing uh, of Matthias in place of Judas. There was this special role that Jesus' 12 disciples had because they were eyewitnesses. They'd been there. They had seen Christ as he lived, as he died, as he rose again, and then as he uh, ascended to heaven. 
And in proclaiming the gospel, having also received the teaching of Christ, they had this special role to be witnesses to Christ. But we see it already in this book, in the book of Acts, and then we see it through history. That initial role in no way then, pre- then prevents others, prevented others then, and prevents us today from doing similarly. It is our calling too. See, today we have books like this very one that we are looking at this evening, and it's prequel, Luke, and those gospels, and they, for us today, serve as witnesses to Christ. And they they proclaim the same gospel. Isn't this beautiful? Today, the very same gospel that we're going to see proclaimed again and again in the book of Acts, it is the same gospel that we proclaim today. There's no need over those years to add or change anything at all. Because in Christ's life, his death, his resurrection, and his ascension, we proclaim all that anyone, anywhere, could need to hear for life and for salvation. And the application then for us today is pretty straightforward, I think. First of all, I think we give thanks. We give thanks to God, don't we? That as we see here, the good news of Christ is for people of all nations. Thinking about it in terms of Jesus when he was speaking to the disciples back then. Who are we here in Northern Ireland? We are the end of the earth. Most of us here, Gentile believers, and all of us here, people who apart from God's grace and his grace going out to all nations would not be welcome to come to him and be a part of his family. And so we give thanks to God for his gospel that goes out to all nations. And then we can also give thanks, can't we, to God for the disciples, the initial disciples here who responded and took up this call to be witnesses. And then for the many future disciples through the years, over the past 2,000 years, who have also responded to this call to be witnesses to Christ, leading right the way through, if you picture it, almost uh, for you, leading right the way through to the person who witnessed to you of the Lord Jesus Christ. There's been a line, hasn't there, of witnesses who have passed on this good news again and again. Isn't that cool that this evening we are seeing the fulfillment of this verse? As the gospel continues to go out in this place, in this city, and right across our world, as disciples everywhere witness to Christ. And then stemming from that thankfulness, and with Christ's words here ringing in our ears, we have to respond then, don't we, by taking this command to heart. As we witness to Christ, in our lives, witness to Christ in our homes, witness to Christ in our workplaces, in our sports clubs, in our neighborhoods, on our social media. What are we called to do as Christians? We are to witness to Christ, wherever that may be, and to whoever that may be. We point people to Christ because we find all that we need in him. I mean, just imagine if your parents or your friend or a colleague or whoever it was that first witnessed to you about Christ, imagine if they'd just chosen not to do that. 
they'd left that aside. Or imagine then if the person, you jump back the generation, the person before them hadn't witnessed to them. The line could have been broken, couldn't it? But in God's plan, it wasn't. You are here this evening and you are hearing of Christ. Many of you received Christ. We found forgiveness and hope in him. And we need to share that. As we think about this, I wonder who it is that initially springs to mind for you. Who is it that God has put around you in your week to week that you can witness to? We're going to see this challenge again and again in this book. So just, just now, here's what I'd encourage you to do as we begin to think about this. Either tonight or maybe just sometime this week, pick up a pen, a little piece of paper, whatever it might be, something that maybe you can stick in your Bible or a prayer journal, wherever it might be. And I just think, think of five people. Five people that God has put in your life at the moment that colleague, that friend, that family member? Who is it that is in your life who you can witness to for Christ? And as, as you do that, pray. Pray for them. And pray for opportunities as well to witness. It doesn't always be, it doesn't always have to be that in every conversation you have the opportunity to explain and unpack the whole of the gospel. That's unrealistic. Sometimes that can happen and that's great and we hope to have that conversation. But however we can, we time and time again point people to Christ. And as we speak, we remember and we pray that the Spirit would help us. It's hard, isn't it? We need courage but we have the Spirit. Let's ask for him to be at work in us so that we would proclaim the good news of Christ boldly and faithfully. Also that one day that person who we are witnessing to can also know the hope and the rest and the peace that is found in Jesus Christ. Why do we need to do all of this? Well, the answer to that, I think, is partly given at the end of verse 11, as we close now. Because as the angels tell the disciples, this Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. And this is the third thing that Luke would have us be sure of us in, the, in this section as we come to a close, that Jesus is still at work and his final work is still to come because he will return. And this return will mark Christ's return to be judge. We read he will be the judge of the living and the dead, as Peter's going to say in, in chapter 10. And on that day that Christ returns, it will be too late for those who have not yet come to Christ for forgiveness. And being reminded of this coming day, we don't know when it will be, being reminded of that should spur us into action, shouldn't it? Who is Christ going to put in your way tomorrow to witness to? See what the angels there, the, the disciples, what do they do? They're standing, staring, looking up into heaven, wondering what to do. And the angel comes and says, stop standing there. Christ has risen. He's ascended. Now go, do what Christ has commanded you to do. 
I wonder if in, the, in this kind of imagery, I wonder if we could say that some of us in our own lives, well, we've begun to stand still, staring into the air in our witness to Christ. Maybe we're staring into good things, right? It must have been miraculous thinking of Christ ascending to heaven. But are we getting on with what we've been called to do? Let this passage this evening call you back into action. Just as you have received Christ Jesus as Lord, so now get out there and share Christ with those who he's put around you. And as I said earlier, if you're not a Christian here this evening, let me encourage you to take the opening words of this book seriously. Whether you know it or not, or accept it or not, Jesus right now, he is risen, and he is reigning. And he is continuing his work right across this world through his people. And he is offering salvation to all. And that offer comes to you, whoever you are this evening. Come to Jesus, as those first disciples did, and as millions upon millions and upon millions have in the years since. Come this evening to Jesus and find forgiveness. And then you too can be a part of this ongoing work as we declare that salvation to the very end of the earth. If you're sitting here this evening, you want to think any more about that, what becoming a Christian involves or means, please do come and have a chat, either with myself or Steve or maybe someone who's here that you know. We would just love to chat with you more about this. We have a treasure and a hope in Christ that we want to share with you. Don't pass this opportunity by. Come to Christ. As we've seen, he will one day return. We don't know when that day will be. But when he comes, then it will be too late. He will come as the judge. Come to him. Well, let's pray together as we close. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for these words that have been recorded for us, that Luke first recorded for Theophilus, and Lord, that now that we can consider this evening and rejoice in. Lord, thank you for the vision that we see here of the risen and reigning Lord Jesus Christ, and how he continues to do his work. Please would you reassure us as we think about this this evening, Thank you, Lord, that you are at work in this world and that we can have confidence of that. And so we please ask, Lord, that you would continue to build your kingdom here. Lord, build your kingdom here in this church, in this city, in this nation, and in this world. Lord, and please would you help us to have the boldness and the courage to be a part of that. Lord, we do thank you and rejoice in all those people who through the centuries have proclaimed Christ and witnessed to him. And those who have witnessed to us as well, Lord, we thank you for their faith and their boldness. And Lord, please now, by your spirit, would you fill us and help us to be ready to go out and share that very same good news with those that you have put in our lives. Lord, thank you for the hope and forgiveness and salvation in the Lord Jesus Christ. In his name we pray. Amen.
Well, we're going to um, close by singing Facing a Task Unfinished. It's a song that we haven't sung, I think, uh, too recently here at Great Vic. Hopefully, it'll be fairly well known to, to lots of us. But it takes up this call, doesn't it, of what you've just been thinking about. Ours is the same commission to go and make the gospel known. So let's uh, respond in the words of this song as we close.
Heavenly Father, help us to do that this week, to go to all the world, that we would shine for Christ, that we would be witnesses to him. And now may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us all, now and evermore. Amen.